We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What is going on, folks? Welcome to another episode of Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. Joining me tonight is my co-host, former NFL defensive back, Eric freaking Crocker. How you feeling, brother? I'm good, man. How, how are you doing? I'm all right, man. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm cruising into uh, the last week before Christmas break. If you don't know, here on the Striking Gold Podcast, I am a uh, an art teacher. Teach at a local middle school in Fresno, California, and we are on our last week before I get two weeks off for Christmas break. So, the uh, it's like a it's like a great thing, you know. You're going to get some time off, but at the same time, all the kids know they're about to get some time off, so they're all squirrely and and uh, excited and whatever. But it's all good. So I'm feeling good, man. But on the other hand, the 49ers are not feeling that great. Um, for the first time this season, at least in my opinion, the 49ers authored their first truly disappointing loss. Uh, of course, losing to the Seattle Seahawks and the Baltimore Ravens, their only two other losses on the season. Um, to last second field goals, you know, of course that's disappointing, but I'm talking about coming out, playing down to an opponent, losing to, to an opponent that you should beat. Uh, and there is a, there's a ton of factors that went into this loss. Um, but, you know, my kind of overarching point that I took away from this game is that I felt like from the top to the bottom, 
from Kyle Shanahan, Robert Sala, all the way down to uh, to every player, kind of on the maybe not every player. That's a bit harsh, but I felt like the majority of of those that had a hand in this game kind of overlooked the Falcons. And I know that can be a bit harsh, but I just feel like the way that game played out and some of the decisions that were made that I felt like the 49ers and there's even some comments that I'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, I feel like the the 49ers just straight up overlooked the the Falcons. What do you, what do you think, man? I, I wouldn't say – I wouldn't use the word overlooked, but I, I will say that they didn't play with that edge. You know, they, they – they, I think they kind of – maybe they felt like they prepared the same way for the Falcons as they would any other team, but I don't think that they came out and did anything to punch the Falcons in the mouth. And it was just kind of like, well, we're here. We're supposed to be playing. You know, let's just get this game over with. And it seemed like that mood throughout the entire game. You know, it was very even the mood inside the uh, press in the press in the media room, right? It was just kind of like flat a little bit, and that was kind of how the game was, man. It was just it was just flat. The game plan was flat. The receivers were flat. The everybody was really flat except for George Kittle. I thought he was outstanding. Right, and he um, and he was, and he was. Well, I mean, we'll get into that. But real, real quick on George Kittle, real quick. No, we can get. Um, let's just get into George Kittle right now. Let's get into George. Kittle. All right, let's get, let's get into it. What do you think about Tony Gonzalez's comments about that the 49ers will get in trouble because you can't have a tight end as your number one receiver slash target? That doesn't make any sense to me because Tony Gonzalez was that when he was well, in his prime. Well, I think that's what he's saying, though, and, and maybe it's because he's speaking from his personal experience where he was the number one target for all those years and they didn't have success. So, I mean, I don't even think he – did he ever even go to the playoffs until I think maybe with the Falcons maybe? Uh, I'm not I'm not sure. I wouldn't – you know, I wouldn't be able to yeah, tell you. I, I know he, he either never went to the playoffs or he never won a playoff game um, until either late or when he switched teams. It was, it was something kind of crazy like that. So I think maybe he's kind of gone off of his own personal experience where, okay, I played for the Chiefs for all these years. I was the guy, and we didn't win because we didn't have that receiver on the outside to stretch the field and do this and that and the other. And that was kind of – Well, what what I think he should probably say is it's not that you can't have a tight end be that number one guy. Like, to me, anybody who's catching a pass can be that number one guy. You know, they just line up into different spots. Sometimes they have different responsibilities. In the end, they're going to run a route and the ball's got to go to somebody. I don't care if it's a tight end or wide receiver. What I think he's trying to say is you can't give a guy 17 targets in a game and at the same time, because George Kittle had 17 targets, I think he had 13 receptions. You know, he broke the the, the record for um, receiving yards for a tight end in his first three seasons. So, yeah, he had, he had 13 receptions on 17 targets for 134 yards. Now, what I think Tony Gonzalez is trying to say is you cannot give your – tight end 13 receptions and then give your next three wide receiver wide receivers Debo Samuel Kendrick Bourne and Emmanuel Sanders four receptions total like you I, I you know to me it seems like his criticisms could be or should be pointed at more of the game plan slash play calling than it should be at George Kittle because to me I, I don't care who the guy is you have Rob Gronkowski, you have Tony Gonzalez, you have Travis Kelsey, and, and in, in Philadelphia right now, you have Zach Ertz. 
he's their main guy. Uh, you know, they've got some injuries along the receiving core, but to me, there's, there's nothing wrong with a tight end being a guy or a number one target. But to me, you can't put that much of a spotlight on one person. Uh, it worked out in a lot of cases, but you know, it eventually bit him in the butt a little later in the game. But to me, it's just, I, I felt like his criticisms either could have been or should have been aimed at more of the play calling and, you know, who the, Right. ball was going to in the distribution, then it should be George Kittle. Because like, like I said, I, I don't care who the number one guy is. George Kittle. And, and that was I wanted to ask Kyle Shanahan about, but like, you know, after the game in the press conference, someone had asked a question similar, but not to the Someone Someone asked if, if they were like force feeding the ball to George right. Kittle. Well, I wanted to ask. Him. And he was like, no, he was just the number one read. And if he's right. open which he usually is. We'll and and what I him. wanted to ask him was, did you guys see something on film that made you go away from using the receivers and utilize Kittle more instead of like, oh, did you want to force feed him the ball? But because the questions were so kind of like similar, I didn't want to ask it, you know? Right, but, right. Um, I, that was what I wanted to know. Like, what, what, what did you see on film that made you go away from – the receivers, because really, I mean, the Falcons cornerbacks have been very underwhelming this year. Well, yeah, I mean, dude, if you think about earlier in the season, the Falcons defense is what spawned that one of my favorite football videos this year of that Deshaun Watson video. Right. Where he went off and threw for like five touchdowns. And he was basically, you know, it was somebody else's voice. But Deshaun Watson, in his own words, basically broke down the coverage and talked about how easy it was to to go up against. And, and you know, the funny parody video of that was him saying, well, at one point I was calling in the fans from in the crowd and saying, hey, if you want to run routes against the Falcons, just just run whatever because you'll, <laughs> you'll be open. Like, you right. know, and so it, it, it was that same defense. And it, it was just weird to see the 49ers offense struggle so much. Now, there is some familiar, familiarity there. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan came from the Atlanta Falcons. He coached under Dan Quinn, who's still the head coach. And so, you know, they would have a decent bead, you know, coupled with Shan- uh, Quinn's experience with Shanahan and, you know, watching film. They would have a decent bead on what the 49ers were going to try to do. But at the same time, that doesn't, doesn't float as much. Because one of the things you know they would try to do is go to George Kittle, and he still had 13 receptions. It's kind of the same criticism I have for the 49ers in the fact that Calvin Ridley's out, the run game wasn't doing well. Who do you think they're going to throw the ball to here? And Probably Julio, who they threw the ball to 20 times. Right. And to me, the fact that like at that point – triple cover the guy and see what happens. Like if, you know, and leave some guys one-on-one and just, I don't know. But anyways, so going back to what Tony Gonzalez said, I understand what kind of what he means, but just to break this down for you guys, George Kittle had 17 targets, 13 receptions. The next most successful pass catcher was Debo Samuel, who had three targets and one reception for 29 yards. And, the 49ers offense looked pretty stagnant against an unimpressive Falcons defense. And to me, that is a big reason why, you know, if you're just forcing, and I'm hoping the 49ers were not just force feeding Kittle the ball so he could get that record. Like I get it. I'm sure Shanahan still feels bad that George Kittle didn't get that single game record. He was like five yards short, but then he ended up in the same season, breaking the single season receiving record and, I don't know. I'm hoping the 49ers were just forcing him the ball so that he could break that record, which Kittle himself, and and he would say this because he's a good teammate, that he didn't give a shit about the record. 
after the game. He was so pissed off. And this is one of the things that kind of uh, eluded me that, that there were even people within the 49ers locker room that felt other players in that locking locker room were not taking this game seriously because Kittle was pissed and he didn't throw under any of his teammates under the bus. But he basically said, like, we came out flat. We didn't play with intensity. And the way he was saying it, like, 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 I'm not trying to allude to the fact that he's, he's calling out his teammates, but he just seemed like he was almost like, come on, guys, what, what are we doing? <clears throat> yeah, I, I was talking to somebody and and I and that was one thing that I had brought up how I feel his the way he came off was a lot different than anyone else I, I saw. And like you said, not to point fingers or, you know, talk down on any of the teammates or anything like that, but it just seemed like to me, uh he took it I, I had never seen Kittle like that. Right. I, I think he just took it I and I don't want to question how other people take took that loss. But he took it very personal. That that's what it seemed like to me, um, with just his answers, the look on his face while answering questions, um, the tone in which he was speaking. Um, it seemed like he he took it very 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 personal, and I didn't really get that sense from anyone else. Now maybe everybody you know everybody takes losses and disappointment different. Actually, Kyle Shanahan. I say Kyle Shanahan and Kittle were on the same page with. They were on the same level with how they you know, came across to me, but I didn't get that sense from really anyone else. Well, and one of the things I was talking with, uh, with Ian Williams, I was with Akash from Niners nation and we were walking out and then we ran into Ian Williams. Uh, we were walking out. And one of the things I said to him that he agreed with was, is, uh, Ian Williams, former 49ers defensive lineman, phenomenal player. Um, but you know, suffered an ankle injury against the Seahawks. Uh, J.R. Sweezy rolled up underneath him, destroyed his ankle to the point where he, he could never play again. So really crappy, um, but a great guy, and he's managed to stay around the organization, which is awesome. But I basically said to him, I was, look, even if the 49ers win that game, like let's say they stop Julio Jones on that final play. You know, the ball went over the line. I, I think it went over the line. I, I know there were some people that say they didn't feel like it was a score. I felt like it was pretty clearly over the line and it was, you know, tough call, tough way to end it. But let's say the 49ers stop Julio there and they win. Yeah, guys are going to rush the field, be happy that they won in such a crazy fashion, defensive stop, goal line, all that stuff. But to me, you are you just beat the 4-9 the, the and a lot of 4-10, and ten, which is what they would have been. Four and ten in Atlanta Falcons by three points, and they almost beat you. They should have beat you. Like, you know, I feel like the team would have still been in a pretty crappy mood. Like, yeah, you got away with a win, but they they knew that they they played down to opponent that they down to an opponent that they should have beat. And I feel like a lot of the attitudes still would have been pretty similar. Uh, and the fact that, like, man, we can't we can't play like that. And I feel like the way George Kittle's attitude was was like he was almost like saying without saying I shouldn't have to catch 13 passes a game like and I shouldn't have to get 17 targets and that's great that I think he feels like that's great that he can be that guy and I I know he takes pride in being that guy but it basically meant that nobody else was doing anything you know Jimmy Garoppolo was struggling the offensive line didn't play well uh he was getting pre- Jimmy Garoppolo was getting pressured all the time guys were dropping passes Debo Samuel had a drop Kendrick Bourne had a sort of drop it was a tough catch because Jimmy was hit as he threw and Bourne went down to catch it and dropped it. Uh, it. It just seemed like everybody was just so vanilla and so bleh. It was just your classic kind of a disappointing letdown game for a team that I felt like had done a really good job of 
kicking ass when they played a team that they should kick their ass and, you know, keep it up. Something like they, they just came off of an amazing win over the Saints. This game was just so different than that. It's crazy. Um, but it, it, going back to Kittle, he just seems so pissed off, like at 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 his teammates. Not in a way where you're diming out your teammates, just pissed off at the way everybody played. And uh, it was just it was really interesting. And and there's some other things that I feel like can can that might may have frustrated him. Like his own play, the 49ers threw to Kittle. Thir- Kittle caught 13 passes. Eventually, that's going to bite you in the butt because on one of his last catches might've been what was his last catch. Um, he looked like he had a clear path to a first down on a third and two. I think it was a third and two might've been third and four. Yeah, no, it was third and two. And he was, and, and keep in mind, Kittle was manhandling the Falcons. This is a guy that blocked. Um, I think it was Ricardo Allen. I, I can't remember who it was. He pancaked him into the back of the end zone. And when Ricardo Allen rolled off of him, he was like giggling to himself. Like he thought it was so funny. It was one of the funniest things. He was just like a little kid. Like you could tell he was probably just <laughs> like, it was just the, this, this face. And so he was physically dominating the Falcons most of the game. And then he needed two yards and he tried to switch the ball from his left hand to his right hand, which eventually for a pass catcher just becomes instinctual. You know, you should do it. Um, And he wanted to stiff arm the defensive back. Well, in that process, he fumbled the ball. Um, The ball flew forward short of the line to gain and um, out of bounds, which stopped the clock. The 49ers didn't get the first down. They were had about two. They still had about two yards to go. Shanahan elected to kick the field goal to go up by five, which I had no problem with that with that decision. You know, you, you, if you go for it on fourth down, you don't get it. Then the Falcons only need a field goal to win it, and it's it, you know that's that's rough. But that play right there kind of was one of the most pivotal moments of that game, and the fact that Kittle looked like he had an easy first down, and instead ended up fumbling the ball. And you know, when you when you target somebody seventeen times and they get thirteen receptions, eventually something's going to happen. And and to me, that was just kind of a a byproduct of just such a ridiculous. I don't know, man. It, it, to me, it just wasn't Kyle Shanahan's finest moment. You know, to, it, it for many reasons, like. Raheem Mostert still should be the to me he's he's played so well and and he still had a good game. Um he the 49ers running back he he had 13 carries for 54 yards. Um I mean which is not a huge average but he still had a good game. Um I I want to say he had a better game than that. I don't know why that looks so low to me. But he he did. Okay, this is the thing with the 49ers running backs. They are all um, um, ex- they are all explosive, um, but none of them are like that guy. So that that's why you see, like right now, there's inconsistencies with who should we give the ball to, uh, you know, on this drive or oh, just because nobody's to- really yeah distanced there, himself. There, yeah, guess. there's not that guy. There, there are guys that are on at different times, and we've seen that from game to game. Right? Sometimes you've seen Tevin Coleman have really only. One really good game. Well, he had a good game against the Browns. He had a really good game against the Panthers. Um, we've seen Breda have his moments, and then now we see Raheem Mostert um be more involved. But really, none of them are that guy. Right? They don't. They don't. None yeah. They don't have a bell cow type of and, running back. Yeah, and that's what you deal with when you 
have a bunch of undrafted backs. Um, they aren't really guys that are different. I don't want to use the word difference makers because they, they do make a difference with how they are used, but they're just not that guy. Like at the end of the day, the Dallas Cowboys know we'll turn around and hand the ball off to Ezekiel Elliott. And he's, he's gonna, like, he's gonna make that play. He's gonna be that guy. Right. Um, there's not too many times where I've seen Ezekiel Elliott not come through for the Cowboys. Now, sometimes they go away from him and that's on them. But when the, when the game goes through him, he, he delivers. Uh, the 49ers don't really have that running back that the game can go through. They have talented backs that fit what they like to do schematically, but they're not when, – when, when, when it starts to get real, you see, did, did, did they hand the ball off on that, on that you know, five-minute drive at all, like at, towards the end of the game? No. One time. They, get, they, they handed the ball off one time. I think most actually had a decent carry, but they're just not – they're not – none of them are like that, that guy. They they are talented in their own right, but but it's kind of hard to explain what I'm trying to say. But they're not Ezekiel. They're not a, a girly. Well, not the girly we're seeing right now. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know they're not they're not of that type of talent. No, you I get you. It's not you know. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> They're not even, you know, something that 49ers fans can relate to. They're not even like a Frank Gore type of guy where he's just somebody that's always out on the field. No matter what, if you need three yards, you're probably going to get three and a half, you know, type of type of Frank's obviously that's selling him way short. But the 49ers just have a stable of running backs that they kind of rotate between. And I'm sure Kyle Shanahan has his plays that he prefers each one of them run because he feels like they can all run it, you know, differently and stuff like that. So, I I mean, the way the game unfolded, I felt like Raheem Mostert was the 49ers kind of best back. And he got 14 carries. The next closest person had four and Tevin Coleman. Now, Tevin Coleman gained 40 yards on those four carries. He had one 37-yard carry. So, there's where all those came from. So, Raheem Mostert was the the, the bell cow-ish in this game. Um, but, I mean, he only averaged three point yards a carry, which is not bad by any means, but it's it's not outstanding. It's it's about average. So, uh, But I, I just feel like he brings, at least as of late, he's brought a little something to the table and, he, you know, he's consistently played well. Yeah. But it was just like it was just a weird, weird overall afternoon that, you know, you can probably say that over and over. It's just it was just an afternoon that felt weird right from the start when the 49ers started out with some three and outs. And even that super long 21 play drive that lasted like 12 minutes or something like they had a couple penalties that kept that drive going for it. It wasn't an impressive drive. Like they still converted their fair share first downs and kept it going, but they, it was just a weird drive that had a lot of weird moments and, and there wasn't a whole lot of momentum to it. They got some good calls and, and you know, there was just so many things that, and all I'm saying this, so the 49ers came out flat and they didn't seem like they wanted to, that they, 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 like they were there to play the Falcons. Well, you flip over to the other sideline and the Falcons are playing out of their minds four days. Dan Quinn. He's about to get fired and he might not get fired, but they know that that guy is about to lose his job or is in danger of losing his job. They're not playing for a playoff spot anymore, but they're going to play for their coach. And 
everything I've read says, you know, that locker room loves him. They don't have a problem with, you know, it's, they've obviously struggled, but so they were playing out of their minds for Dan Quinn going up against, you know, Kyle Shanahan, who used to be on this team, 11 and two 49ers, big timers. They had a lot of things, a lot of chips on their shoulder, if you will, that, that made them play probably a lot better than the 49ers were expecting. And it was just a, a contrasting style in the fact that I felt like the Falcons, although they were eliminated from playoff contention, had something to play for. Whereas the 49ers kind of felt like this game, it, it, it is important to keep that, you know, to keep it in the win, win column. And because and, one of the, fir- the first tiebreaker is, is your win to loss record. So, you know, if you have more wins than the other people, then you, you're, you've got better seating type of deal. So if it comes down to that, so it's, you know, it was it was just weird, but I think the 49ers, they might not have said it, but they knew that they're that they're going to have to get up for the Rams and the Seahawks. And so, like I said, this could be more subconscious, something that wasn't said. But to me, they kind of just well, we'll see how this week goes type of deal. Um you know, and you had a bunch of, of crappy play calls too. One of the reasons the Falcons even got in this game is because Jimmy Ward was flagged for some ridiculous pass interference call in the end zone on Julio Jones, where it was it was really like a an outstanding play by Jimmy Ward. Like he played his free safety coverage perfect and he kind of vied for positioning and whipped around Julio right at the last second and went up and kind of helped break away the pass that did hit Julio in the hands. And, and, but he wasn't able to hold on to it because Ward was right there and he got flagged for pass interference that put him on the one yard line. Then they went on to score and you know, that keeps him in the game. And it, it, that was just to me, such a horrible call. Like that's just the, and what's funny too, is there's a referee standing right there and looking at it and he did not throw a flag. The flag came from a guy who was nowhere near the play on the Falcon sideline, who I'm sure got screamed at by a ton of Falcons coaches that's PI. And so he threw his thing and, you know, I don't know. That's, that's just one play, but even, and, and this is something that you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to uh, reel me back in crock. If you think I'm getting out of, not out of line, but even Richard Sherman said before this game that he was, you know, being held out by the coaches because they wanted to make sure he was healthy and, and Sherman's, you know, he's a warrior. He's going to say stuff like that. But he, at one point, and I'm not sure exactly when this was, said that that I could play in this game if I needed to. Right. And and he didn't. So to me, that is just one very, very small little uh, indication of... I I think some guys, if he would have played, he probably would have been pushing it. And we saw what... We just saw... Right. No, he would have, for sure. 100%. Yeah, D Ford had, you know, he's had a bum hamstring or whatever, quad, whatever's going on with him. And he returned from the Saints game and, I mean, did he even make it through the first quarter? And, you know, he had a setback and now he's out, what, the next four weeks or or, or whatever, you know, right. we might see him again right. into the playoffs. Um, so I, I think you want to stay away from that, especially with Richard Sherman. This game was supposed to be a, a game that you, okay, we, we can get by without Richard Sherman. And we could have. But the offense was extremely flat. I don't think the defense was bad. No, the defense played pretty good. The Fal- what a lot of people don't realize is the Falcons came into this game with like a top three offense. They have an offense capable of moving the ball, and and that's that hasn't been the reason they were losing. Uh, you know, and and I knew that going in. We I talked about it last week is the Falcons were coming in with a good offense. And so to your point, I felt like the defense, other than letting Julio Jones run the gamut, I felt like. They did a pretty good job, all things considered, 
and how many injuries they had. Yeah, if you if you look at it from a standpoint of just if you don't like if you don't know who did what, just look at overall numbers. Matt Ryan passed for two hundred yards. Right. So it's not like he had like this crazy game. Now Julio did when you just look at all the stats, but like Matt Ryan, two hundred yards passing, he averaged five point four yards per uh, attempt. Like that, that's not good. Um, so it's not like their office, um, they're running, they're running backs, uh, Devonte Freeman, 12 carries, 39 yards, three yards a carry. Like, that's not good. <laughs> um, you, you, you like, like the defense showed up. I thought they played well. Um, they lost containment on Matt Ryan a couple of times. What's funny is Matt Ryan had, had arguably not even really arguably like a better game than, than Devonta Freeman. <laughs> right. Matt Ryan had five carries for 27 yards and averaged 5.4 yards per carry. And some of those were pretty, you know, important plays in the, in the grand scheme of drives. You know, he, right. the 49ers lost contain, and I think they probably bet on Matt Ryan kind of sitting there, which he does most of the time. But when you give, when you completely leave the center open and abandon kind of your lanes, then he just took off. But keep going, man. Sorry. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, no, I was just saying it, it wasn't so much that, the Falcons just dominate this game, especially offensively. Um, but it it was the 49ers offense that actually kind of like lost the game. And I, I think a lot of times uh, looking at the 49ers offense, I think they've done what they need to do to win, whether it was score a ton of points like they did against the Saints or just enough in some other games. And this game, I, I just think they just couldn't really get in any type of a groove. I mean, you know, we got gifted a touchdown off of the um the you know fumble on the punt return uh that the 49ers recovered uh Kyle Juszczyk and ran it back to the two yard line a couple plays later you know he scored a touchdown outside of that i mean in in the, like you said the 21 play drive like 49ers really didn't do anything offensively so um yeah it's kind of weird i, I definitely uh, wasn't was, uh... that, especially with like we said the falcons like their defense being their weakness and the 49ers didn't take advantage of it at all. No, to me, and, and the Saints have a, a good defense. You just saw that last night. They completely shut down the Indianapolis Colts, which have a def- decent offense. It's okay. Um, and the 49ers hung 40, 48 points on the New Orleans Saints in their house. And then you can't come up, come come home to a, to a home game where Atlanta's traveling all the way across the country to come play, and, and you struggle to put up 22 points. You know, like it's just there were so many things that were just weird. It was like I said, it's just a classic letdown game. Teams, well, that's why George Kittle was so angry. Like he was basically, without saying it, like, "What the hell are we doing, guys? Like this is not the way we play football." And it was just weird for to me from the top to bottom, from a defensive coordinator standpoint. You know, there were so many plays where it just seemed like they were treating Julio Jones like he was your average everyday receiver. We can handle him. You know, and this is Julio Jones. He could, to, in many people's minds, he's still the best receiver in the league. And you're, they, and, and w- coupled with that, they just lost Calvin Ridley, who was their clear cut number two. Uh, Austin Hooper is still a good, good tight end, and he's he's had a lot of success in the end zone. Um, but they just, to me, treated Julio like he was another guy. And I think after halftime, they they made some adjustments, but it, it just wasn't enough. And and that also plays into the fact that the 49ers were greatly depleted. 
on defense. They didn't have uh, Richard Sherman. They didn't have K1 Williams. They didn't have D Ford. They just lost DJ Jones to a season ending, ending ankle injury. Uh, they don't have Jaquiski Tart safety. Uh, they were, the, no bones about it. But the thing is, like we just said, that the defense wasn't necessarily the problem. They played they played pretty good. Right. We would have thought it would have been. I mean, they, on the last drive, it just seemed like they just didn't have enough. They didn't, they didn't have the closures, right? And, and that's what got the 49ers so much in the previous years, not having the closers. And I think today, guys that they typically would lean on throughout this season to come through and make a play, uh, they just weren't there. And, you know, yeah, you have, you know, Bosa, Buckner, and you, you have Armstead, but I, I think this was a time where they needed a guy like uh, D Ford. I think this was a time where they needed Richard Sherman. I, I think this was a time where they needed Quan Alexander. Like, they, they needed guys that um, they – they this is what we got brought you here for, and all those guys were out. The Quan, that, it's funny you say Quan Alexander because, I mean, I'm kind of throwing a – a complete wrench into our conversation here, but his little thing's been interesting. You know, Kendrick Bourne posted a uh, a video on his IG story of of Quan Alexander working out on the side of uh, on the other field. Uh, he was doing like pass coverage drills, you know, dropping back and then cutting on a pass. You know, football things, which is not supposed to be a six month uh, healing process, and right. It hasn't been six months. No, <laughs> there's been some crazy. I think it, who was it? JJ Watt that like returned from a torn pec in the same season, or, or I can't remember. Somebody, or at least thought he might do it. I don't remember. But um, you know, working out on the a side of the field is not catching a pass is not playing football, especially from a. It's a very small part of it. But we're talking about a linebacker who has to come up and hit and wrap guys up on on almost every single play. And, you know, it's there could be a miracle scenario where he comes back. You know, it, it would be like two months early. And for I don't know, I just, it's it's a cool sentiment. You know, there's miracle recovery, total like WWE moment. Wait a minute. That's Quan Alexander's music. And he comes out and, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just like. I don't know, man. I They really covet him, and that's why they gave him so much money. And when Quan Alexander was in, in that defense, he made a real difference. Uh, he was excellent. So I don't think that they're going to – and, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't think they're going to try and push him. Kyle Shanahan said today that he felt like it was a long shot. Because once you get into the playoffs, I believe the – from what I read today, the injured reserve windows kind of go off the window. And, and – anybody can come back from injured reserve that uh, has gotten healthy just because the season all of a sudden becomes longer. Now I could be completely wrong on that. I just was reading up on it today. I don't know if they still have the two player window, you know, like, right. I, I, you know, I, I don't know if that changes, but one already on, uh, right. On uh, continuous uh, street. So, you know, even if they, even if they, even if you couldn't bring more than two back, they still have one remaining. And I don't think uh, – I'm not sure if anybody else is going to come back. We'll see. Jason Brett was another option there. Um, so I, I just would advise fans not to get too hyped up about the idea of Alexander coming back because it would be a miraculous recovery. And, you know. I have to say something real quick. So um, my dog my dog is in here and he's farting. So if you guys hear any farting going on in the back, Blame it on blame it on Croc. He, he's like way too relaxed. So he's like 
I mean, he's probably farted since we started this podcast. He's probably farted like ten times. Like I'm not joking. So if you guys hear farting going on, like if you guys like, did I hear a fart, like it, it's not it's me. One hundred percent Crocker for sure. <laughs> and that last one was loud, so I had to bring it to your guys' attention. Like you know, I, I haven't heard it, but that's really funny, and I really hope that at least like two or three of them got picked up by the mic yeah. because that would just be so funny <laughs> if. if if uh, if people are listening to this podcast, just me and man, one of these guys is really ripping some farts right yeah. now. Yeah, I have a big old Kane Corso, man. He's like 135 pounds, like 140 pounds. So. Um, I, he he got into our garbage can and ate like half a burrito earlier. So I think that's kind of getting to him now. Well, and you know, you're from Stockton, and I'm sure they got some outstanding Mexican food. And you know, who knows oh, what home, you had for dinner? It's for a, sure. We have taco. You don't, you don't have to. You don't have to blame it on the dog, man. We just. <laughs> It is what it is. Man. <laughs> Did you hear that? No. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, I don't think. I don't think so. But it's it's all good. I hope we can hear some of them. But yeah. So uh, I don't even remember what you're talking know, about. But to your point, they, With, you know, Quan Alexander coming back, I wouldn't expect it. Yeah. Wait. What? Are we so waiting we for the dog to fart? No, I said we were talking about Quan Alexander. Okay. Yeah. So. I know I wouldn't expect him to come back. It, it's a cool thought. It's you know, but it's to me, it's just not worth it. Like if I don't know, it, it, he did play really, really well. It's not like the, it wouldn't be an upgrade if he came back. I just feel like it'd be getting a little reckless. Um, and and to the same thing you said about D Ford earlier is he came back too early from a uh, from a strained hamstring and he re-injured it and the re-injury was worse than the original injury and now he's out four weeks. He might even miss time going into the playoffs. Um, We'll see. So I just I wouldn't get too spun up about the Quan Alexander stuff. Um, but moving on a little bit, you know, I think we've we've touched plenty upon the 49ers, the flatness of the 49ers against the Falcons. Uh, I would say this, you know, and I wish I would have said this earlier, not 30 minutes in the podcast, but I wouldn't overreact to the loss. Uh, it, it's it's not uncommon at all for championship teams, teams bound for the playoffs, teams that, you know, end up, you know, the New England Patriots did it last year. They lost to the uh, Miami Dolphins real late in the season in like a weird shootout. And, you know, they went on to win the Super Bowl. So it's, it's, it's a pretty calm, you know, disappointing losses, bad losses happen literally every single year to almost every single team. Uh, You know, no team just plays to 100% of their ability every single game of every season. I mean, the freaking Baltimore Ravens lost to the Cleveland Browns this year. So it's... I think the 49ers in the Super Bowl run, I believe, um, lost to the Rams and tied them once. Or I, I was something weird like that, but they kept... You're talking the about the Colin Kaepernick, Jim Harbaugh days? Yeah, those Jim Harbaugh days. They they kept moving to like right. the Rams and like and it's like the Rams weren't good. <laughs> right. There were seven and nine or, or, or eight and eight yeah. or whatever. But so, yeah, disappointing games can happen. You know, um, the 49ers at the end of the day are 11 and three. And it's and lo- disappointing games and disappointing losses and playing down to opponents and coming out flat literally happen every single year to almost every single team. So just, you know, we can chill out. They're 11 and three. Um, if, if for some reason they come out against the, against the Rams and look the same, uh, then I think you could you could have cause for concern because the 49ers are in games that matter against division opponents trying to capture the division. And if you can't come out hot against the Rams at Levi's Stadium with, you know, playoff positioning in line, then the 49ers aren't going to be able to, you know, they're not going to be able to come out hot 
for the playoffs, period. So um, they, the 49ers did get back Richard, Richard Sherman and Kwan Williams stay in practice, which is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Kwan Williams is playing outstanding. Richard Sherman is playing outstanding. Um, Tart's not back yet. He's been having a great season. So getting him back will mean a lot. But I don't, I don't know for sure if they're not going to have him for this game, but I know he's not practicing yet. So it doesn't – he's not trending that way. Um, but – so the way this really works, and, and, I've, and I've read a lot of articles and a lot of tweets kind of breaking it down, but the 49ers versus Rams game is important. But let's say even if they lost to the Rams, they would be 11-4. and four, And let's say the Seahawks beat the Cardinals, they'd be 13-3, and three, I believe. Or no, 12-3, and three, excuse me. And it would still come down to Seattle as far as division winning the NFC West. But in order to maintain their, you know, their their chance of capturing the number one seed in the NFC and the conference, they've got to beat the Rams. They've got to have of have that record because they've got tiebreakers against the Green Bay Packers. They've got tiebreakers against the New Orleans Saints. And if they, they need to make sure they're the same record as those teams so that they can be in play for the number one seed. So the 49ers can still win the NFC West and lose against the Rams next week. But if you want to be in contention for the number one seed, which is, you know, you're not going to get the number one seed without winning the NFC West. And the number one seed is what gives you playoff home field advantage and that first round bye. which for a 49ers team where that's, that's trying to get back D Ford and that has a couple other injuries, that first round bye is going to be crucial. It's first round by it's crucial. Even if, you're healthy because your team just gets a, a week to prepare, an extra week to prepare, an extra week to rest. So um, the Sunday's game, or excuse me, Saturday's game against the Rams is important, but it's not, you know, there there are ways in which the 49ers can still have success if they drop another crapper. But I, I don't even want to, you know, I'm not trying to, to coax you into believing it's okay to lose to the Rams. Obviously the 49ers have to get up and they have to, they have essentially the, the playoffs just started for them. You know, if, if, if they want to capture the number one seed, if they want to win and win the NFC West, they have to start winning and they have to win the rest of their games. So okay. that's at least the way I look at it. You know, if, to simplify everything, the playoffs this week started for the 49ers and they have to just start winning all their games if they want to go to the show. And you, and you also, you know, you, it, it doesn't matter, but you, you do want to end the season on a high note. Um, and getting that first round bye would allow the 49ers to get a little healthier. Um, and, and that's big. I mean, we you know, we talked about the Falcons game, but a big thing is, you know, I think anybody, if you're, you start losing now, you know, at that point, you, you're, you're missing seven, six starters on defense. Now, a couple of them aren't coming back. Um, most likely, you know, Quan Alexander, DJ Jones, but, um, you know, you're missing – when you go out there and you're you're shorthanded six guys that or five guys I think that should be back or should or typically there, um, that's gonna hurt you, you know, and it's gonna hurt you moving forward, especially going against a team like the Rams. So, like you said, you know, you get Sherman back, get Quan Williams back, um, hopefully Tart comes back soon. But you you start getting your guys back, you start getting a little more more confidence. You you beat the Rams, you beat the uh, the Seahawks, especially in Seattle. Um, I think the 49ers will be the favorites uh, heading into the playoffs at that point. Right. So to, to kind of focus in on the Rams here, obviously the the last time the 49ers played the Rams in Los Angeles, they embarrassed them. The Rams only managed seven points and it, you know, the end score was 20 to seven and the Rams were just completely shut down in nearly every way, shape or form. 
they were, you know, they just, it, it was, it was an embarrassment. It's probably their worst loss of the season. Now the Rams as of late have been really hit or miss. They got destroyed by the Ravens. Um, and then they destroyed the Cardinals and then they beat the Seahawks pretty handedly two weeks ago. And then they come out and get destroyed by the seven and seven Cowboys. So they're really inconsistent and it's really hard to put your finger on what exactly the problem is and what exactly to expect. And, I think I feel like the 49ers, if I'm going to put my my bet on anything, I feel like the 49ers should be able to handle the Rams in a similar fashion as to how they handled them last year. Or excuse me, not last year. I don't want to say last year. Earlier in the season. Uh, it's, you know, especially with, with, I'm assuming, a pretty significant chip on their shoulder after how they just played against the Falcons. They get to play at Levi's Stadium again. You know, they're going to have that like, okay, let's not embarrass ourselves in front of our home crowd again type of deal. And the Rams just are playing too inconsistently to, to, to for me to have any real confidence in. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just been weird. And, and obviously things, division games are always different. Uh, and I said that before they played the Rams the first time, I wasn't expecting the 49ers to just, uh, that was earlier in the season. We weren't quite sure how good the 49ers were yet. We were still kind of gliding through the, you know, the more challenging parts of the schedule. And to me, it's, I just don't know what to expect, but if I had to say, you know, if I was offering a prediction, I'd say the 49ers would win pretty convincingly, but like, it makes it hard to say that because the Rams have just been so inconsistent. You know, I what do you, I mean? What do you think, man? What do you? How do you feel about it? What's your What's your gut tell you? Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting game. Um, again, I, prime time. I I just don't see the Forty ers losing this game. Um, I, I see them getting up for it. Uh, one, one thing that has to be better is the Forty ers offensive line. You can't let Aaron Donald, you know, ruin this game. And I think a lot of that. You know, we talked about the Forty ers offense. I think the biggest issue was how the 49ers let the Atlanta Falcons pass rush dictate the way, you know, the passing game was going to go. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was under constant duress. And you can't let that happen with the uh, Rams because, you know, once Aaron Donald, Donald gets going, there's no stopping him. There's no slowing him down. And he will ruin the game. You can't let him do that. Um, as long as they get that in check, I – I think the 49ers would be more than all right. But uh, got to get guys going. Got to get the outside guys going early on. You have Jalen Ramsey. He's going to talk a whole lot of trash um, the entire game. So you got to do something to shut him up a little bit. Uh, you know, they, they, they got some guys that can that can change the, the, the game and the way it goes. Um, but, yeah, you got to follow the blueprint and what Dallas did, man. They, they destroyed him on the ground. Pollard, like you said, had a big game. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, 24 carries, had over 100 yards. Two backs over 100 yards. Um, they they can be had. But the 49ers, I think they got to hit them in the mouth early. If you hit them in the mouth early, they, they, they'll probably go. Well, and, and one thing, one reason that the – the return of, of, of Sherwin, expected return of Sherman and Williams is going to help is it was one, Williams will stick to Cooper Cup 
uh, you know, who plays the majority of his snaps in the slot. And, and Williams has had success against pretty every, pretty much every receiver, slot receiver in the league so far. He's done pretty well. And then you get Richard Sherman outside. And what the 49ers are going to want to do, and they have the same play, game plan against the Falcons. Jimmy Ward said it after the game in the locker room that their game plan against the Falcons was to stop the run and force Matt Ryan and then the throw. Unfortunately, they just didn't quite have the defensive – uh, starters and the defensive power to limit somebody like Julio Jones. So Matt Ryan was perfectly fine with throwing. I mean, he didn't throw for a ton of yards, but he was perfectly fine with making the throws he needed to make in the times he needed to make them to, to Julio Jones, where I feel like the 49ers are going to have a similar game plan against the Rams. Uh, and and, and, it, and if you look at kind of the box score and the summary of the game for the Cowboys, I had, didn't go back and watch it. It looks like the Cowboys had the same game plan. They completely forced the Rams to become one-dimensional, which is the way the Rams were playing earlier in the season. It's the way the Rams have played for the majority of the season. Is like against the Cowboys, Todd Gurley got 11 carries and only rushed for 20 yards. And – Jared Goff had three carries for two yards, so which is essentially what that tells you is he was scrambling, trying to avoid a sack, and picked up a yard, uh, you know, or half a yard. So the 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 Cowboys forced the Rams to become completely one dimensional and throw the ball. And Jared Goff, he didn't have a horrible game, thirty three of fifty one for two hundred eighty four yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. But that was their only way of generating uh, of yardage was was through Jared well, Goff, you know. And it, it's kind of, I mean, he he had like some garbage. Uh, stats there at the end of the game. Oh, he did too, because I, in my fantasy matchup, I was like, why does Cooper Cup have 0.0 points? And it's like the fourth quarter. And then all of a sudden he ended the game with like 16 because he, he had four catches and a touchdown in like the the last like five minutes of the game. So it mm-hmm. was, you know, just to, not that not that fantasy football has any bearing on real life here, but that was just my way of, of, of backing Croc's point up right now. A lot of that was garbage time when the, when the game was well out of hand. The Cowboys also know that they're in playoff contention. You know, what's funny is seven and seven is is on the verge of winning them their division. So it, you know, they, I'm sure that they, with the game well out of hand, pulled some of their guys, the guys that they didn't want to get hurt. And so the the going back to that, the 49ers game plan is just going to be to stifle the run, which I don't feel like they're going to have a problem doing. The Rams are just not able to run the ball this, this year. You can go back and look at a lot of the games where they just became completely one dimensional and they're always throwing and getting Sherman and Williams back will at least allow them to match guy for guy in coverage. And, and they'll think they have a good shot. And, um, the 49ers defensive line still, they did an okay job of getting pressure on Matt Ryan. In some cases it seemed effective, but they were able to close the, unable to close the deal type of, type of thing. The Rams offensive line is worse than the Falcons. Um, you know, Andrew Whitworth left tackles playing decent football. He's, he's decent, but the rest of the line is just struggling. So I feel like the 49ers will be able to match the Rams coverage wise. Um, decently and I feel like the 49ers will still be able to generate some pressure on Goff, which is just what they're going to want to do. They're, they're going to want to keep Gurley from doing anything, which like we were talking about before we hit record, Gurley's kind of just looking, you know, like something's wrong. You know, he's, he's tired. He's worn down. He's injured. He might be all three. Uh, he's just not very effective anymore. He went, you know, it's just been kind of sad to watch. He's went from one of the most, you know, uh, powerful and, and impactful running backs in the NFL to, you know, 
Not a and whole we lot. We saw it in the playoffs where it was like, yeah, Todd Gurley looks different, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right, right. They started the whole – I don't want to say pitch count because I don't know if that's exactly what they're doing, but you could tell they just weren't using him how they typically would. And that's continued over into this season. There were a few games where he um, got a load of carries, but for the most part, he's been very average to below average. Right. Yeah. There's, I can guarantee you watching film for the last, you know, from at, at the very least last week's game, the 49ers are not concerned with Todd Gurley. Uh, that's that's not their focus. Their focus is going to be on limiting the passing attacks and making sure their coverages uh, force Goff to have to think about it for a split second and let their pass rush get home. Um, Nick Bosa was another player like like Kittle that was very um, emotional about what he said after the game. He just seemed like he was like jaded. He was like, man, I played horrible. I let my teammates down. I... Didn't win the rushes I should have won. I made some mental mistakes, you know, and, and that's not necessarily, I, you know, I use the word emotional, but he just, I could, I could see him coming out and, you know, having a game just surely based on the fact that he felt like he was very disappointed in how he played. So, you know, it, it, you're definitely, I, I think you're definitely going to see a 49ers team that doesn't come out flat, but you know, that, that doesn't mean that the game's going to cruise, but I think you're going to see a, a, a team that's much more, up to the task than you saw against the Falcons, because like I said, and they're going to think of it the same way too, is, is the playoffs start this week. As far as I'm concerned, you just have to start winning if you want to get to where you want to get. Now, obviously if they lose over the next two weeks, one or two or whatever, uh, they're still in the playoffs. It's just going to drastically affect where they play. They don't want to, you know, going to Dallas for the first round of the playoffs would be interesting, especially I think the last time they played there, it was like, half 49ers fans <laughs> you know and we can talk about too like I, we haven't really touched on it but the 49ers did clinch and that is a right, right. that's that's been completely overshadowed by how kind of horribly they played but the 49ers are going to the playoffs for the first time since 2013 um you know in the harbaugh years which is great you know it's a, it's 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 definitely a tip your hat to kyle shanahan john lynch and everybody on that roster who has risen to the occasion um, you know, it, it's just unfortunate that it had to be offset by, you know, what's easily, what was easily their worst game of the year. Um, but they're going to the playoffs. So like I, like I was saying is it, it, they could, you know, whether or not they, they went out from here and, and capture that number one seed, which is obviously their goal, it, you know, that, that is the focus, but they're going to the playoffs no matter what. And they might, hopefully, I, I know the 49ers would much rather prefer to travel to Texas and play the Cowboys in AT&T Stadium than, than, you know, Philadelphia win that division. And then they've got to go to Philadelphia in January, you know, and and play <laughs> at a place that's that wouldn't be that pleasant. So I feel like the 49ers would be the clear favorites against either. But, you know, if, if that does unfold, I'm sure they'd much rather play the Cowboys. But like you were, we were also saying before the podcast, like who knows what you're going to get with the Cowboys. Like they're, they're an extremely talented team with a super deep roster that just underperforms on a weekly basis. And then they go out and spank the Rams 44 to 21. It's, it's so weird, but you know, it's like I said, it's, it's, there's, there's no, we're down to the wire and, 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 and every game is impactful and everything impacts their seating. Sometimes, you know, people were looking at playoff seating three or four or five weeks ago, which is kind of silly, but now we're past that point 
and everything matters. Um, the, the, the team the 49ers put on the field needs to reflect the team that they are bringing into the playoffs at this point. I say, like, it's whatever you're going to do. If, if you're a team that can go to the Super Bowl and the Rams aren't, then you should beat the crap out of the Rams. And, you know, if, if you're going to be the one to beat Seattle in Seattle, then you got to go do it. And that's just the way it is. You know, it's, yep. there's there's right. there's no more like, oh, well, they can do it then or they can, you know, they'll be better at the end of the season or, the, you know, this will change or, you know, whatever. It, it, that 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 time has passed. And, yes, we're still in the regular season. We're not in the playoffs. But it's just you. they have to be in that mindset now. They can't just – after putting together an 11-3 and three season, you can't just limp into the playoffs with a bunch of lackluster games that completely kill your confidence and, and what you think you're capable of. And, you know, they just have to play championship caliber football from here on out. You know, it's, it's week 15. Like there's, if you're not going to do it now, then you're not going to do it at all. You got any, uh, any closing thoughts? Correct. No, nah, uh, you know, I, I just would like to see the, you know, the receivers stay a little bit more involved in the game. Um, I, I would like to see a running back that they feel like they can depend on uh, more throughout a game and, you know, just get healthy. Right. So in case you are unaware, and this is a quick story. <laughs> this was like in, in the heart of the 49ers uh, perennial playoff pushes for Harbaugh, like, you know, in three years where they went to NFC championship game, Super Bowl, and NFC championship game there, you know, and, and I was a, a member of a 49ers group on Facebook and the 49ers played on Thursday night football. And I believe they beat the Rams. Uh, it was a pretty, pretty convincing victory. I can't remember which year it was even. And then come Sunday, somebody posts on this 49ers group, Twitter, um, got all my stuff ready sitting here ready for the game to start and (laughs) the responses were just gold because it was basically like dude they they played on thursday (laughs) like and it was you felt bad i i mean i didn't lay into the guy or anything but i mean you one you wonder like is this dude really a 49ers fan because the team played on prime time (laughs) <laughs> and it's over. Like, and this, he literally posted sitting here, got my stuff ready to go for the game. Go Niners or something like that. And yeah, <laughs> I just remember seeing it or seeing a screenshot of it. No, I, I saw the actual post. And, but anyways, my point of that story was the 49ers are playing on Saturday. They're not playing on Sunday. So don't be that guy and have your things ready to go. Everything's, you know, you got your hors d'oeuvres and your drinks and everything. You got the TV turned on. You're all comfortable in your Niners gear. Don't be that guy on Sunday waiting for the game to start because it's not on Sunday. Okay, it's it's on Saturday. The 49ers play the Rams on, at primetime. Game will start at like 5.15 um, at Levi's Stadium. And it'll be a big one. It's prime time. I feel like the 49ers have, have done a good job of showing up for, for prime time games um, so far through the season. I don't, unfortunately, I don't have like the win to loss, prime time win to loss ratio right now. But, you know, that is what it is. Um, I just checked. I'm going to check it again right now for you guys. Yeah, the Santa Clara weather uh, says that there's going to be rain on Saturday in Santa Clara. Oh, no. So the 49ers. Uh, fortunately for them have plenty of experience playing in this crap now 
because they had to do it against the Baltimore Ravens. They had to do it against the Washington Redskins. So, I mean, this it's four days out. You know, this the weather stuff like that changes very consistently. But they're, Santa Clara is supposed to have rain tomorrow, uh, partly cloudy Thursday, cloudy Friday, rain Saturday, rain Sunday, rain Monday, rain Tuesday, rain Wednesday, rain Thursday. So there is a huge storm coming, uh, coming our way, at, you know, in the Bay Area or, or you know, might, I'm not sure if it's going to get to the Central Valley, but um, the 49ers might be playing another one in the rain. So if you're going to the game, keep an eye on that, poncho up, do all that sort of things. Um, but yeah, I think that wraps it. I think that wraps us up, right, Croc? Are we good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so as always, I appreciate you guys listening in. I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, you guys have done an awesome job leaving reviews. If you're listening on iTunes or whatever it is you're listening on, you guys have done an awesome job of, of leaving reviews and giving us positive feedback. Uh, we read all of it. We appreciate it. Don't I don't want any of you guys to think that we don't. Um, a few people have hit us up on Twitter. You can get me at Rob underscore Louder, L-O-W-D-E-R. You can get Croc at um, Eric underscore Crocker. So, you know, we've had people just hit us up. You know, ask us questions about what they heard on the pod or, you know, give us some feedback. Say, I think this, I think that. So don't be afraid to do that. We're both really active on Twitter. So and we'll get back to you. Um, but like I said, thanks for listening. I appreciate you guys. And uh, 49ers again, play on Saturday. This is uh, Striking Gold signing out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.